Hello and welcome to today's episode. This is From Thought to Impact, the podcast that helps you create the mindset and motivation to build your impact-driven business and change the world. I am excited to share this interview with you. We had a really, really great conversation. We went on a couple of detours um, talking about how we humans react in stressful situations, getting into an emergency state, fight, flight, or freeze. We also talked about breathing and how important it is. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in it. Also, at the end, after the recording, uh, Stefan um, asked me if I would be interested in getting a discount code for the listeners. And he was so generous to um, create one. So. If you're interested in getting your hands on Sensate, which we talk more about in the podcast, this is the product that his company um, created, then wait until the end to know the um, code. All right. Enjoy the conversation and let's get into it. So I'm here with Stefan Schmelik, um, the founder of Sensate. Hi, Stefan. Thank you for being on this podcast. Uh, Jan, thank you uh, very much. Nice to be here. So the company's Bioself Technology and the product is Sensate. Okay, there we go. Thanks for, for clarifying. Um, yeah, like I, I told you before the podcast, I would love to uh, give you a few minutes to explain to the listeners, like, what is Sensate? Uh, what does it do? Um, how did you come up with the idea? And then afterwards, we will go into who you are and what you think about uh, life. So, yeah. <laughs> life. Um, so, well, so Sensate is, is a product. It's a consumer facing product. It's a hardware and software app solution. Uh, and it's the culmination really of my 30 years of medical practice, but a lifetime spent uh, studying uh, and being taught meditation uh, and similar practices, living a fairly, a relatively natural life. And it's my, um, efforts really uh, to try and provide a solution to the main issue I saw in clinic which was the number of people who were struggling with stress and anxiety um, you know almost a universal experience uh, either to a crippling degree um, or to a degree where people didn't know how much their life was being driven by stress and, and the, uh, the need to rush the need to do things the need to be productive um, but it was still having an impact on their health and their mental health. Um, and I think what the pandemic's done is to really just highlight an issue that was already there. You know, so there's been mm -hmm. lots of lots of coverage of uh, the increase in mental health problems since the last two, three years since the pandemic arrived. Um, uh, but these, 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 these issues were still were already largely there, I think. And uh, one of the, I hope, positive outcomes ultimately of the pandemic is that it will have shone a spotlight on um, a, a, an issue, a mental health issue that the, the globe, the world needs to deal with if we're going to have any chance really of successfully tackling the many other issues facing the world today. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of reason for my wanting to, in, to, to have this solution. But in terms of what it is, it's a, um, uh, <clears throat> it's a piece of hardware. So it's a pebble like mm -hmm. this that sits on the chest and is operated via an app 
and it uses um, low frequency resonance through the pebble, uh, which is orchestrated and combined with uh, audible frequencies in headphones. And it produces a kind of body resonance. So we, we write pieces of music soundscapes, which utilize an incredibly broad um, uh, frequency spectrum. So uh, below 50 hertz, which you can't generally hear, the mains hum uh, frequency is approximately 50 hertz, and then right up to um, several, you know, many, many thousands of hertz, which the um, obviously the body is um, capable of hearing. Uh, and so, in other words, the the orchestrations, half of them are felt, yeah, and half of the orchestration is heard. But it's one piece of music, um, and. Uh, we tend to think of sound as being something which is all about the, you know, the, the compression of air pressure within the ear. Uh, but so much of sound and the felt tactile experience is also experienced through the body. You know, we know this, obviously, where we feel bass at a club or um, at, a, at an event through our bodies. We know, we actually know in our own experience that sound is, is felt as well as heard. And... Um, in a way, what the device, the sensate device is doing is reproducing the kind of experiences that, pe that human beings have found ways to generate over thousands of years. So it's very similar to omming, chanting, advanced breathing techniques, singing, um, sounding, etc. And you, where, where you're doing things to produce a resonant frequency within the chest. Um, but it's quite hard. It's surprisingly hard to do that efficiently uh, and to get the kind of outcomes and results that you know that, that you really want which is to create this kind of harmonic coherence in the chest which then resonates through the whole body uh, and into the cells um, so uh, using the technology is a very consistent and reliable and easy way for anyone without any training or any experience to be able to do that and essentially the the, the vibrations in the chest then use bone conduction yeah, which emit these frequencies into the thoracic cavity, which is then turned into like a speaker. You know, I mean, I'm, you obviously you know what a speaker is. Um, uh, the 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 encasement you get around the speaker, the wooden usually encasement, is the resonating chamber. So 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 much of the sound quality uh, of a of a, a hi-fi system is about the case, mm -hmm. as much as much as it is about the um, the speakers themselves and that was really um, the eureka moment that i had in clinic uh, when i was using other technology that we were using um a uh, much bigger version of the same technology in a way uh, was i realized that you could get rid of most of the hardware and turn the body into the yeah. hardware and so that's very much what we did we, we, we turned the device but using bone conduction and your own chest it turns you know you into the hardware so that your this this column of air from the throat right down into the diaphragm uh, is, is is turned into a resonating cell. Cool. Um, when I first, you have a beautiful website, by the way. Um, for Thank listeners, you. the website is getsensate, which is s e n s a t e dot com, um, and I saw that why this works is because it's um it works with the vagus nerve and i don't know how long this whole vagus nerve theory or understanding is, is around for me it's still pretty new i think the first time i heard about it was maybe a year ago um can you can you speak a little bit 
to that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's like suddenly the vagus nerve has been discovered. Um, it's a bit like occasionally when they discover a new moon or a new planet in the solar system, it's like, wow. Uh, but of course, it's been there for you know, a few billion years, but you know, we've just discovered it. Um, the, vagus ner- the vagus nerve actually is very similar to that. So we've had a vagus nerve for 400 million years, roughly, um, uh, you know, since we were fish. Uh, or um, you know, there's, there, and it's it's part of the autonomic nervous system. It's the biggest branch of the autonomic nervous system, which is the part of the um, the, you know, the kind of primordial, the primitive part of the nervous system, if you like. Uh, it connects to the brainstem, yeah, the, the 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 first brain that we had before we stacked these other brains on top. Um, and it's responsible. So it has parasympathetic and sympathetic branches, and it's responsible for. Uh, controlling all the body functions that you can't possibly think about moment by moment. So breathing, um, circulation, blood pressure, um, uh, the, the, the dilation of the, the, the pores on the skin, the digestion. So when, when, we, when we talk about the, the gut-brain connection, yeah, you're basically talking about the vagus in particular. You're talking about the autonomic nervous system overall, but you're especially talking about the vagus. Um, and it's accepted now that the body has multiple brains, at least three, the one in your head, although you could call, you could say that easily say there's three in the head. Because, um, yeah. you know, you've obviously got the, you've got the first brain, you've got the, um, the mammalian brain, and then like the human brain, um, which has only been there for about a million years, uh, which is so re- relatively recently compared to the 400 million year old Vegas. Um, and then you've got the heart brain, and this is absolutely considered to be a brain. Uh, has a lot of um, a, a lot of electrical activity, and then the enteric nervous system, which is the gut brain. So you have at least these three centers, each of which have their own form of processing and intelligence. And um, uh, you know, different cultures at different times have allowed have have, have emphasised different aspects of each of these. You know, we can think of the gut as the emotional, the feeling brain. Um, we can think of the heart as the uh, as the emotional sort of loving brain, and obviously the brain brain as the processing brain. And we, you know, we live in a society that's very uh, brain brain dominated. You know, yeah. we 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 worship at the altar of, of fact and and logic, uh, and we you know we do that as, as I think we increasingly realise at the expense of how we feel uh, and how we are. Um, so, so my, you know, my, my, my quest, personal quest is to, uh, for human beings to be able to unite the functions of all three of these brains. Um, if you speak to a neurologist about the, the vagus nerve, it's still quite early days, really, for um, uh, mainstream medicine to take on board the reevaluation, the reappraisal uh, of the vagus nerve that's, ta- that's happened over the last 10 or so years. I mean, my, my practice, New Medicine Group, has been talking about and utilizing vagal nerve function for 20, 30 years at least. Um, but it's, but, it's, but it's, as you say, it's a relatively new idea, uh, although not a new piece of tissue um, for most people. So the idea that it does more than simply control uh, um, basic functions like whether you faint when you stand up, um, which is one of the you know, what's called vasovagal syn- uh, syncope, which is um, the uh, adjustment of, of, of pressure in the brain so that when you stand up, you don't fall over. Um, uh, the, 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 the mainstream view of, of the vagus is that it's kind of somewhat limited to 
these essential functions. But uh, I think in holistic medicine, what we're suggesting is that its role is much more holistic than that, much more intricate and broad reaching than that. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And and uh, with all the, the stress going on and, and COVID and the fear, um, it's really like when I saw this this piece of technology, I was like, yeah, wow, this is this is needed because um, the stress is not only unpleasant in the moment, right? The the long term consequences are are like really really devastating, and, and people get seriously sick from being in a in a state of fight, flight, or freeze over uh, such a long period of time on a daily basis for for most people, really. Yeah, and I think that's what we're um, understanding and appreciating more and more. Um, the my clinic also had a, a particular interest in trauma uh, and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which is you know an acute form of anxiety or fear, if you like. As you, as you say, it's overactivation of um, some aspects of this primitive nervous system, the flight, fight, freeze, and more recently, um, the form category has been added. So flight, fight, freeze, form, um, uh, and actually there are other. Um, subcategories that are increasingly being suggested within that kind of category but it's the idea that it's yeah the emergency response um, and I think what I think what's it interesting to think about for me was very interesting when I realized this is um, <clears throat> that you know human beings in many ways are hardwired for anxiety um, so this emergency response which has served us very well for 10,000 years or longer depending on you know, when you want to, how far you want to go back, is now in the last hundred years or so, literally having the opposite effect. So it was useful when, you know, we were in a dangerous environment, um, but now, and, and which uh, alerted us to signals of potential threat in the environment. But now we're surrounded by um, pseudo signals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, our brains are not, you know, that part of the brain that deals with threat response is not particularly clever, but it is very, very powerful. Yeah. So, you know, um, things like phobias or panic attacks are not related to intelligence or to education. Yeah, um, they cut through all of that because that part, that lower brain function, which is, of course, trying to preserve you, that's its primary directive is stop you from dying will override any conditioning, any logic. <clears throat> and um, we're surrounded by signals, you know, um, too many, too much information coming in, too much advertising, too much media, this kind of dopamine driven response around social media and wanting likes and needing approval. And all of this constantly is telling uh, our brains that there is some kind of danger or threat response. Mm -hmm. And only has really one... Yeah. Um, has one very sophisticated and powerful uh, um, solution to that, which is to release emergency substances into the body to enable reflexes, um, which is fine if you do actually need to run away. But if you're sitting at your desk <laughs> and you shouldn't be running away, that's very, very uncomfortable. Uh, it's also highly inflammatory. And I think that's the other aspect of um, stress, which we're increasing more and more, is the inflammatory... Um, chronic disease promoting longevity reducing impact of chronic stress yeah mm -hmm. um, these hormones these, these these chemicals which our body produces which enable us to have superpowers 
are highly inflammatory. You know, the candle which is burnt at both ends burns twice as fast. And that's what it's like. And I think a lot of people, a lot of us today are living a life where um, there's this constant stimulation and it's, and it's not ultimately productive. Yeah. Cool. Um, since you already kind of mentioned a little bit the, the history of uh, humanity and how our brain developed, uh, I would love to start to hear your opinion on the future. What, what comes up for you when you think about the future of humanity, of maybe your own future? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean the, uh, the future as much as the present drives um, what I do um, more and more. And something I, I touched upon a moment ago, which is that human beings are hardwired for anxiety, I think is essential to understand because we then can control that rather than be controlled by it. Um, so we talk about survival of the fittest, but in many ways, it's uh, um, human history is survival of the weakest. You know, it was the, the, the kind of the, 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 the super fit, overly brave human beings of the last few thousand years didn't make it mm. mm -hmm. they didn't make it the ones that made it to pass on their genes were the slightly paranoid uh anxious <laughs> people that hoarded um food so they made it through the winter and i think i think it's so fascinating that the first human reaction to lockdown was to hoard uh, toilet rolls <clears throat> because people were scared shitless, right? So they, they this kind of instinctive reaction to, I'm going to hoard toilet rolls of all things, not food, <laughs> but mm -hmm. toilet rolls, you know. <laughs> um, um, and I think it's only we can see how much our behavior is driven by short-term fear that we actually have the opportunity to rise above that and to transcend that. Mm -hmm. Um so for me, there's, mul you, know, you know, you only have to look around you. There are multiple disaster vectors <laughs> um, which um, could wipe out the human race um, over the next 50 to 100 years. Um, everything from uh, obviously you know, rising, t uh, rising uh, water levels to fires to fa famine to disease. And, as the, as the, and of course, they're all connected, aren't they? So as the polar ice caps melt, we're exposing... Uh, viruses that we don't have immunity to, you know, 500 year old, 1000 um, year old viruses, which could wipe through the population in, in, a, in, a, um, in a few years. Um, and this, of course, feeds the anxiety machine, feeds the fear machine. Uh, you know, nobody, it's hard, it's, it's, it's becoming harder to not face uh, the kind of disasters, but it, but also as they become more looming, it's more and more tempting to not want to look at them, to to not look up, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, I think we're, I think, I, mean, I do genuinely believe that we're now uh, reaching a tipping point um, okay. in human thinking and human evolution, where the number of people who uh, are, whose fear is turning into the interaction rather than paralysis mm -hmm. is, is, is reaching a critical point. And I do hope and I do genuinely believe that over the next two, three, five, ten years, um, uh, a, a sufficient number of people will demand action. They won't allow the inaction to continue. And my, you know, my, my hope and my vision is that um, what we're doing um, uh, with Sensate is it will, will, will play a small 
part in that, a small and humble part. I think we're part of a much, much bigger movement of people who are trying to enable human beings to um, be less afraid. Uh, because quite simply, unless we can transcend our fear and the paralysis that produces, uh, we will not demand change. Yeah. And it's only if we demand change of our political leaders and our governments and our institutions that um, the various uh, dangers that are looming can be averted. Because I believe they can be averted. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I know. I, I'm a genuine. You know. I absolutely believe that we can turn everything around um, if if we start to demand change. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, you think that in we will see in the next five, ten years, if we went over this tipping point and uh, kind of spiraling upwards now and, and creating a, a row of um, yeah, actions that, that lead to the turnaround of the whole, whole situation. Exactly. And I think, I think that's partly um, because people are realizing, that's partly because people are realizing it's not just about their kids. Yeah, I think um, I think there's quite a lot of people thought, oh well, yeah, the world's going to end, but it it'll be you know not it's not me, uh, I'm I'm not going to be affected. Um, and of course, people love their children, but even that apparently isn't enough to make them change their behaviour. I think people are increasingly realising that it's going to happen in their lifetime, and it's mm -hmm. their lives that will be affected, and that's the thing that will make a difference. Is it's not a hundred years time, it's ten okay. years time. Well, I mean, it's it's happening now, right? You know, war in a um, place Germany and places that one would never imagine would have flooded, um, have flooded. Um, you know, you see, California, some parts of the year, Australia, parts of the year is aflame. Mm -hmm. You know, storms, unprecedented storms, both both the hottest and the coldest days on record in the same year. It's it's happening now. Mm -hmm. Um. So what I always think about when it comes to like this tipping point is um, the the consciousness aspect of humanity. Uh, what is your take on that? Like spirituality, maybe as a as a, a word here. Um, yeah. What, what what does it mean for to you? What does spirituality mean to me? Mm -hmm. And and how it is connected to uh, the evolution of humanity? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a huge question, obviously. Um, uh, I have no great interest in specific religions. I suppose I've, you know, I've been influenced by um, many formal religions over the years. My dad was a Catholic, being Polish, um, uh, but also uh, was exposed me and the family to a lot of esoteric religion growing up. So Sufism uh, and Buddhism uh, in particular, uh, but other traditions as well so I was kind of quite steeped in the esoteric aspects of religious thinking from from an early age um, but I think uh, I think many people realize that you know all spiritual traditions all religious traditions when you look at them essentially have the same message mm -hmm. which is all you need is love right so <clears throat> religions and John Lennon uh, were, were right you know all you need is but um, but equally all you need is to conquer fear, yeah, because fear dominates love. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. You can't love while you're panicking. 
because your objectives become uh, short term, they become survival. Yeah, in terms of the hierarchy of needs, um, uh, you know, spirituality and and higher consciousness is at the top of the pyramid, right? <clears throat> but even below shelter and warmth and food, uh, you know, the, the the ground upon which the hierarchy of needs is built is feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing um, I think that drives human behavior is is if we don't feel safe nothing else matters and i think we we live in this strange society where of course we're safer than we've ever been but yet there's a kind of somewhat unnamed existential threat that makes people feel unsafe and they don't know why um and that's actually much much worse because a um a threat that you can identify you you can deal with yeah, a threat that you feel, but you don't know what what it's about. It's like a kind of you know, it's like being afraid of something under your bed. It's 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 difficult. It's more difficult, uh, and it's more draining, and it's more inflammatory on the system. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, the questions about spirituality, though, and um... <laughs> so I think we we have the option, don't we? We have the option as human beings to um, lead a life which is productive, um, which helps other people, um, which um, we strive towards um, giving more than receiving, you know, being good people in the most traditional sense of the word. And we have the option of uh, following a very aesthetic religious path uh, you know, becoming a monk, giving up all worldly things and not really concerning ourselves with society too much, sort of removing ourselves from the temptations uh, and requirements to society so that we can concentrate on our own spiritual development. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the, the second one, the, the, you know, the, the path of the monk, isn't for most people. And yeah. great, because... You know, it would be a very difficult world if the majority of people were following a monk or nun-like path where they were giving up all worldly things. Um, I think, I think you know, if we strive towards being good people, um, we develop a, a sense of self and a sense of authenticity and a sense of spirituality uh, from that. Yeah? Um, where it's very hard to have any meaningful perspective on... Uh, higher consciousness or spirituality while we're locked in either either anxiety panic fear or even just self-obsession yeah mm -hmm. moving beyond self-obsession frankly is a life's work yeah and you know the we can't climb the, the pyramid the hierarchy of needs until the until the need underneath has been removed so we, either that means, um, and, and the, just to kind of qualify that slightly, there's the danger of too much comfort. That doesn't mean being entirely comfortable. Yeah, so having as warm a house and as much food and as uh, many clothes as you need, because then you become attached and reliant to those things. So I think, and I think that's the other aspect of modern 
living for in industrialized societies that's, that's very difficult is we have too much mm-hmm. so it's incredibly challenging to contemplate um any 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 difficulties any discomfort any challenge so i think we need to acclimatize we need to become less comfortable mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah we need because because otherwise every challenge is a mountain yeah yeah it's funny that you say that because just yesterday i i saw this post that uh the comfort zone is is killing our dreams basically and we throw all our ambitions out of the window because we have such a vast um pool of entertainments always available um yeah, yeah whatever we it's making us, it's yeah. making us unhappy um i mean within trauma work um particularly you know, there's been a revolution really in trauma therapy over the last few decades um where it's much more about you know body orientated psychotherapy rather than word-based uh, psychotherapy because you know words are all about the upper brain and actually that mm-hmm. isn't that really isn't where trauma resides <clears throat> um but you know you have to trauma is something you feel in your body and to resolve it you need to feel it and process it without re-traumatizing yourself that's the that's the tricky bit but um um uh you know change isn't possible within your comfort zone no, no. um it's and, and and the point is it's very scary to put your foot outside your comfort zone and you can't leap out of it because uh then you can just you know traumatize yourself and then, then you and then you and then you scurry back into your comfort zone and you never want to leave it again so you know just like most people probably shouldn't dive into a, an icy stream the first time they, they you know they want to go ice bathing because they've read it's a good idea because they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll probably just traumatize, you know, they'll probably just freak themselves out and never go near cold water again. Um, you know, you metaphorically and literally, you know, you dip a toe in. Yeah. Yeah. And you then you dip a foot in. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, you have change has to be approached um, for the vast majority of cases has to be pro- approached in a compassionate way. Mm-hmm. Um, just a moment ago, when you talked about humanity and the future and that you um and sensei like the goal is to play a role in that um in that change is that connected to you to like your spiritual understanding that there is a a life purpose for you that you are born with or that your soul has or or is that is that just like common sense like i see there's an issue i have the skills to Uh, to contribute um, with that business or other projects, um, yeah, well, I would love to hear what is your what is your take on life purpose. Well, well I think um, when a a calling or a, you know a, a purpose, as you say, comes together, then all those things collide. So I've spent a lifetime acquiring various skills and experience uh, in business, in medicine, in healthcare, in holism, but also in um uh, uh meditation and breathing uh, practices mm-hmm. etc and um my overarching uh momentum and drive has, has has always been to try and you know looking back i can see this it's easy to say this but has always been to try and uh, have some kind of um uh, to be of service in some way mm-hmm. 
and of course then then you then you the trick then is to make sure you're not doing it egotistically it's a bit like giving to charity isn't it you know if if, if you have to tell everyone you're giving to charity then actually it's a transaction um equally you know being of service you know it's uh, you, can, you need to make sure you're also co- or continuously conscious of your your own ego uh, within within that kind of context and when you're trying to be of help but we know neurologically we know from studies that um uh, it is genuinely better to give than receive you know people who give everything away well, they have to give everything away people who give are happier and more content and feel more fulfilled than people that receive and um and that becomes then a you know and if a society is based on generosity mm-hmm. Then it's a happier, more content society. So, um, so you know, I, you know, I had, you know, I, I increasingly um, reached a point, and then had this kind of eureka moment, like I say, where I saw the greatest impact I could have, uh, and the, the the most of service I could be, given my experience and background and knowledge, was to provide a solution uh, that was really effective and required no training um, for the hundreds of millions of people who are struggling with feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and it really is uh, a hundreds of millions of people around the world uh, who, you know, their daily life is a, is a grind. Yeah. And um, for many, many years, I believed that classical meditation techniques uh, were the solution. And they are really, um, you know, meditation breathing being in nature uh, all the best things in life really are free mm-hmm. yeah i mean they really are you know Lo- um loving somebody yeah being providing unconditional love all of these things don't cost anything yeah. um but yet increasingly we don't access them yeah, we, 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 because it's easier and, and there's no absolutely no blame attached to it. I'm as guilty of this as anyone because it's easier and less challenging and less scary to access technology or drugs or alcohol or food or um, you know, whatever it might be, social media, etc. So it's become harder and harder with the tech companies and commerce and the capitalist system being as clever as it is to access the stuff that's free. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I became aware of that, and so my you know my desire is not to replace the free things, but to give people a path back to finding them. Mm-hmm. So what I what you know what I what I became acutely aware of is if you've only ever really if your overwhelming experience is one of being overwhelmed. So if the if the majority of time you you're felt slightly adrenally activated, um, and that's what you know, then you can't recognize what feeling different would, would feel like. Yeah. And we and probably everybody's had some kind of experience where they've done something and it's, oh, that's what it could be like. Yeah, mm-hmm. moments of what, when the body goes, you know, everybody's had some, and, and some people have been much luckier than others to have more of it, but everybody's probably had some kind of moment of flow, moment of awe and wonder where everything just falls into place and you cease becoming um, concerned and occupied by the chatter in your mind or the chatter in the world around you. And you just move into a place where you and the world and nature 
are harmoniously coherent with each other. <clears throat> and uh, if you have enough of those opportunities, you want more of them, but also you can recognize them when they, when, when they present themselves. Because we're surrounded by that the whole time, right? We're surrounded by that. It's always here. It's always, it never goes away. You just have to see it. So, and, and traditionally that's been done, you know, people have done that through art, through poetry, through nature, through meditation. Um, and because it's become so difficult to access those things, um, I just simply wanted to provide a way for people to get moment insights. Because once you've had, once you know what you're not getting, you want more of it. Once you know what, once you know what genuine relaxation or flow state feels like, then the um, the the thing the other things that would occupy your time become less tempting. Yeah, yeah. It, for like this, this is a question for me personally. But you mentioned flow states and relaxation. Mm. Um, in my understanding, this is. It's not the same because in a flow state you're really quite active, right? Mm -hmm. Is is it maybe in in terms of uh, how the the vagus nerve, for example, um, reacts in both of those states? Or well, the the vagus is is has a has a a, a large uh, amount to say in the sense organs, uh, and and the the, you know, the the controls most of the organs, which is um, another word for which is the viscera. Yeah. So when we talk about a visceral feeling. Um, you know, we're, we're referring to something which is very vivid and in the moment and very real. It's visceral. <clears throat> it tends to be used negatively, but it doesn't. It doesn't. That's not the the root of the word. And uh, uh, the vagus is is kind of responsible for the interaction of the internal world and the external world. So how you interface, how you process. So it is, it is fundamentally involved in these experiences. It control, as I say, has a big um, role to play in sense organs, so hearing, feeling, uh, seeing, etc. Um, but flow states and, and um, relaxation aren't the same thing, but they're not opposed either. I think, I think there's also a lot of confusion around what relaxation or certainly what meditation is. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the barriers to meditation for so many people, um, mm -hmm. You know, lots of people say to me, oh, you know, I, 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 try, I try to um, relax or I try to use such and such an app uh, to relax. And actually, I just I, I, I feel I'm just sitting there, you know, counting the minutes, waiting for it to finish. Or actually, I feel more anxious. And that's actually a very common phenomenon that when people try to re breathe or relax, they feel more anxious. Uh, and I don't think this phenomenon is being um, talked about enough because it's incredibly common. And it's not that they're, it's not that they're actually feeling more anxious. It's just that they notice how anxious yeah. they are, because mm -hmm. because for a moment they're stopping, they're removing some distractions for a few minutes. Most people yeah. can't, you know, many people can't manage ten minutes, um, and they notice, of course, and they start to they start to um, the app starts to tell them uh, to notice their breathing, and of course they notice how terrible their breathing is. They notice they're holding their breath breath where it's shallow. Um, and that then makes some, and the noticing of bad breathing is yeah. the best way to make the breathing worse. So of course <laughs> the breathing, the breathing then gets worse because we become hyper-conscious of the breathing and then they get a, they have a panic attack. Um, and this is, this is a very common experience. Uh, you may or may not be surprised, but flow state is, is one of feeling that everything is okay, that you're, well, more than that. It's more than just being content. I think contentment, by the way, is actually really the highest form 
of human mm-hmm. uh, con- the con- human condition is really the one we should strive for. You know, the idea that yeah. ha- happiness is what we should strive for, I think, is silly. Um, yeah. uh, but I think feeling the feeling of contentedness that everything is simply okay is yeah. what we should strive for. Would you would you put that uh, together with inner peace? Is that kind of the same for you, or is there, or is there a difference between contentment and inner peace? Um, I think it's different, uh, qualitatively, I suppose. I guess you know, contentedness, um, inner peace, transcendence, um, flow state—they're all they're all on a spectrum, aren't they? Um, uh, and you and and I think there is a a linear relationship to to these things to some extent. Uh, in as much as you can't have one until you've experienced the other, mm-hmm. you know, cl- clearly you can't feel at peace or content if you're anxious. Yeah. Um, and you can't feel uh, um, content if you're not breathing properly. And this is why you know the breath is such a fundamental part of all spiritual, religious, meditation, exercise practice. Um, and the reason for that, in one sense, is quite simple because it's it's the only autonomic nervous system function that we can easily override. Yeah. So, you know, you have to train pretty hard to be able to control your heartbeat or your gut peristalsis or sweating or other functions. But, you know, anybody can and does interrupt their breathing pattern on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's because it's the, and it's, it's therefore the gateway to, um, change so and that's good and bad right so um the breathing is the first thing to change when we feel anything uh, whether that's a traumatic experience or just a just a, a strong experience you know we hold the breath yeah um uh, and that lowers the co2 and that's part of the, the, the emergency response right we hold the breath to be silent mm-hmm. yeah, a bit like you know think of a rabbit it goes um, uh, but that uh, that pattern of holding the breath during a stressful time becomes part of a traumatic you know, bo- body pattern. So therefore, learning to breathe and release the breath and allow the breath to become natural, to, to um, allow the autonomic nervous system to drive the breathing rather than conscious thought mm-hmm. to drive the breathing is, yeah. is, 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 uh, is such a critical function. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for, for that reminder because I have a... A morning routine and a practice of meditation and uh, I've done breathing exercises before but not not consistently you know it's it's quite um, there's quite a lot of resistance actually to to like for example the Wim Hof breathing you know even just 10 minutes I'm like no I don't want to do it it's so difficult so hard but uh, I know about the benefits and uh Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, you know, breath work has become a bit like the vagus nerve has become very um, popular. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like somebody invented breathing a few years ago, you know, like <laughs> suddenly breathing's a thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, we, we noticed this in clinic a long time ago that uh, um, people who have some kind of chronic health problem, uh, you know, whether it's an emotional one or a physical one, almost invariably have uh, what's called breathing pattern disorder, BPD. Uh, and usually the way that manifests is that they're holding the breath in some shape or form. The diaphragm isn't really moving. Um, and therefore the CO2, uh, the carbon dioxide is, is low. 
And one of the issues we have is that everybody uh, tends to think that breathing is about taking a deep breath in. And in fact, most, you know, most yoga classes or breathing guides will, will say to you, take a deep breath. Um, mm-hmm. But um, if the diaphragm isn't moving, yeah, and you're breathing in the upper chest, then you can't take a deep breath. Yeah. Yeah, there's nowhere for it to go. You know, a vase that is full is full. You can't pour more into it. So learning to relax the diaphragm, to connect the pelvis yeah, and the diaphragm itself, which, of course, they are connected anatomically. I've done quite a lot of dissection work, and it's in, in very useful and informing. And, uh, you know, you see that the diaphragm here and the pelvic floor here are just the top and the bottom of like a, a me- a, an egg-like membrane with all the abdominal viscera, all the abdominal organs inside. And they function together. You know, when you breathe in, the pelvic floor and the diaphragm, mm-hmm. they... they they interact and they have a conversation between them or they, they should do. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, reconnecting the diaphragm and the pelvic floor in the, in the breathing cycle is, is, uh, you know, it's incredibly useful. And, and yeah. I, th- I think a lot of, a lot of um, uh, breathing information um, is tricky. It's, it's potentially a bit, um, a bit tricky because it, te- it can often encourage over breathing. And a lot of hyperventilation, effectively, yeah. So, and I've seen a lot of breathwork classes, breathwork teachers who are effectively getting people to hyperventilate. Uh, And then people have these, you know, very strong emotional uh, experiences. But of course they do, they're hyperventilating. You know, they're they're producing a a response within a physiological response in the body, uh, which may not have any bearing on the truth or the accuracy of what the body's holding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure that hyperventilation is ever useful. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 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 One, one thing that I noticed, um, what I try to do is at least once a day, take a very conscious breath where I, I do fill up everything and mm-hmm. almost all the time or every time I'm surprised, like, wow, there, there is so much room for, a breath and I'm not using it uh, if I'm not conscious about it it's just like wow I can still breathe in and then the the stomach area fills up and then even kind of the the back of my my lungs um and up here it's like wow that that feels like um I have a balloon and I never really fill it up only just like halfway or something yeah, I mean, there's liters of, of capacity within the um, within the alveoli of the lungs, etc. Um, and as you say, most of the lung capacity is actually behind the um, the mid the side midline. Um, I had COVID um, just before Christmas uh, and was hospitalized actually with uh, with COVID, and my my um, um, uh, my oxygen saturation got dangerously low. Uh, I have an oximeter, so you know I use that to monitor myself and I put myself in the hospital when I saw that the oxygen saturation was going down to a critical level so I could have um uh, otherwise I would have died right <laughs> which is which is not very beneficial but um you know since then I've been I've been uh, obviously doing a lot of training to kind of get back the oxygen saturation and the lung capacity so I think um, so I think there's two different aspects to the breathing um which reflect this autonomic fact that you know that breathing is the one function that sits on both the conscious and the subconscious you know, so if you go to sleep or you get knocked out, you carry on breathing, right? You don't die. Um, but on the other hand, if you if you choose to hold your breath at any moment, you can. 
So, you know, so it, it's that conscious and subconscious link and it. That's why it's the gateway to these things. So on the one hand, you have, um, you know, the, the ability uh, to train um, uh, the, the lungs. Yes, yeah, so breath holding and Wim Hof like stuff, a breath holding, you know, holding your water under breath, uh, your breath underwater, the kind of thing that deep divers, these incredible things that deep um, uh, free divers do. What I think is it 16 minutes or something? The current breath hold record it's just you know mind-boggling yeah, yeah um yeah. Now how does somebody hold their breath for 15 16 minutes whatever whatever the record is um and then you know fully emptying and fully in in um inflating the lungs because we you know we do all hold a lot of stale uh air in alveoli which is barely used particularly if the diaphragm isn't going up and down so i think you know these are good things to do um, mm -hmm. To really um, to explore the, the extent of your lung capacity in and out, and to do that on a regular basis, um, uh, and we do this in breath work, and we do this in yoga, etc. But then there's the other aspect, which is the autonomic aspect, which is the natural breathing. Yes, because yeah. your your you know your body, your uh, autonomic nervous system knows what balance of CO two and O two it should have. And if we remove our kind of conscious mind from the equation, it will do that. Mm -hmm. It will do that quite naturally. Um, as long as you're breathing through the nose. Yeah. yeah. And just, just briefly, without going off too much of a tangent, you know, the, 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 the epidemic of mouth breathing mm -hmm. that we have is a huge, huge problem. Um, you know, we should be breathing, unless you're, you know, running or something, you should basically be breathing in and out through your nose. It's a, that's the, that is the function of the nose. It's, it's, it's the sole thing it's meant to do is to breathe and smell. Whereas a lot of people obviously are breathing through their mouth. And that has critical and acute long-term implications. Um, and we see that, you know, which is one of the reasons why sleep apnea people where, who are chronically mouth breathing have a much higher um, heart disease, heart attack uh, rate, mm -hmm. um, because they're not, um, they're not generating nitrous oxide through the action of breathing nasally. So we shouldn't. So you know, if, if if you know that you have a habit of mouth breathing, that's one of the first things you should try to remedy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, since we are on this tangent, I want to ask one one last question, and then we can get back to two more topics. I want to hear your your thoughts on. Um, sometimes I have like two two clients or or, or former clients that um, I coach, and I noticed that they have this pattern of taking in very sharp, quick inhales, mm -hmm. you know, they talk and talk and then it's like, <gasps> um, and that's just their, their way of speaking. And, um, I don't know yet why, well, maybe, you know, something about that, that pattern of, um, it feels like, yeah, they're trying to, they forget to take <laughs> to, to inhale and then they talk and talk and then it's a quick, <gasps> quick, uh, yeah, sharp inhale. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of air hunger, um, which is one of the reasons that we yawn as well. So it's try it's trying it's the body trying to correct the O2 CO2 balance. Mm -hmm. uh, and if somebody's talking, I mean I do it. If somebody's talking a lot or talking too fast, then of course they run out of air at the end of a sentence, and they have to. <laughs> um, and there's always a tendency in something like a you know an interview or whatever to to try and talk too fast. I constantly have to remind myself to slow down. Uh, better to say better to say less and get the point across. But um, uh, yeah, if you're uh, um, if you're not you know breathing in a regulated fashion, then every so often you will need to you know, catch up. Yeah. 
uh, essentially with your breathing pattern, with your with your um, oxygen. Yeah, so I hope uh, for the listeners, this was valuable to just um, acknowledge the importance of of how we breathe, um, because I. I mean, for me in the past, if you would have told me that, um, or just that breathing is important and to, to look at that, like, what do you mean? You know, I'm, I'm breathing and I'm, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> but it is definitely a really, really interesting and important part of our life to, to look at and, and see if it's, if it's not the way it, it can be, uh, to do something about it. So, yeah. And it's become yeah. much less of a hard sell. Because of the, the you know the under, increase in understanding of, of uh, the importance of breathing, it's much easier now to convince people that that's one of the things they need to do to address their health. Whereas, you know, I remember a time not so long ago where you know you said to somebody that um, the primary thing they need to do to improve their health was change their breathing pattern. You know, they'd half they'd, they'd almost stand up and walk out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've come I've come to you. You know, in Harley Street, to, learn, to for you to tell me I'm not breathing properly. Um, I've, <clears throat> I've noticed as well that the Irish, in particular, use the inhalation as a form of um, as, as almost like a punctuation. Uh, and you, yeah. you hear it less now. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely thing, actually, but you hear it less now than you used to. I guess old accents are becoming more homogenized. But it's at the end. It almost the them is almost used as like yes. So it's a. <gasps> Ah, oh, okay. Uh, but it's, so that's not. But that's that's different to what you're describing. It's um, it's like almost. It's like kind of like saying yes, almost. It's <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which that's is uh, which is a lovely habit that you don't tend to see so much. Okay, let's uh, switch gears um, again, and I would love to talk about um, what do you think about money and capitalism? Yeah, I mean. I think it's the second half of the famous phrase that's the important bit. So um, it's it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Um, you know, money itself it is neither good nor bad. It's just a you know it's, it's just a, a a transactional chit token you know, that we developed uh, to enable. Um, uh, it, 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 uh, it you know, to enable barter to be more easy because it's hard carrying a pig over your shoulder into market when you want a few bushels of wheat, you know. So I'm going to pass you this token uh, that means that later on I can come back and then I can get the wheat. Um, but obviously we've moved very, very far beyond it simply being a replacement for making barter easier. Um, we've, you know, it was some time ago that we moved from a gold-backed currency um yeah. so as some as many people know you know the amount of uh, money in circulation is not backed by gold um anymore uh so and in, indeed even the amount of the, the amount of digital money in circulation far exceeds the amount of um physical money which exists uh so you know you couldn't convert the world's digital money into actual currency let alone gold so, so the concept of money has become more and more um, uh, um, uh, removed from uh, physical transactions. And obviously now we're moving into entirely digital money and there are many governments which would like to see that. Uh, and, um, and, and, and token-based uh, uh, Bitcoin-like systems, which you know, I, I, I'm, in some ways I'm very supportive of because they have the potential to 
provide an alternative to banks and to governments. Um, I do worry, though, about some aspects of them in as much as obviously governments can potentially control them, but also the ecological aspects, uh, which mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think are being addressed sufficiently. You know, the, 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 the power and the heat required to generate um, uh, um, alternative currencies uh, is huge. Uh, and really, really needs to be addressed for I think for these to be a long term solution um, in in the long term. And when you when you think about um, capitalism, is, is are you saying like okay, that's the system we have right now? Um, maybe there's a better one, maybe not. Or are you completely against this? What do you see? Yeah, I mean, I think there's I think there's a tendency to believe that capitalism was inevitable. Okay. A bit, a bit like human beings were inevitable, and actually, neither of these ideas are supported by the historic record. Um, you know, human beings are no more at the top of the pyramid um, than capitalism was the only economic system which could have developed. You know, human beings could easily have never come about. It was just a, a bit of a freak uh, fork in the road during the evolutionary process. This idea that, you know, it was amoebas and then fish and then mammals and then monkeys and then humans up in this inexorable rise to, um, uh, you know, us as the apex predators isn't supported by the fossil record or by the available scientific data. Um, and equally, I think the capitalism is, is uh, something we've ended up with. Um, it was, it was a- as accidental to some degree as um, the rise of human beings. And it isn't inevitable um, that there are, there have been throughout history and there are other potential economic systems which human beings could use if they chose to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the, more, the more capitalism becomes entrenched and the more the vested interests that benefit, it, benefit from it become more powerful, um, to some degree, the harder it is to challenge. But equally, uh, because everything is about sustainability now, yeah, that we are reaching a point where none of that will matter. You know, when how much money you have is going to become irrelevant, how many cars you have will become irrelevant if um, the human race is unsustainable. Yeah. And I think I think that's the that's the kind of motivation that's going to be required, really. Um, for, again, a tipping point of people to make a different decision about what kind of economic or social structure they want in place. Okay. So did I get that right, that you you don't necessarily judge capitalism as like, this is good, this is bad, it shouldn't be like this, but... Um, I, th- I, think, is- I think the problem with capitalism is that it's based on, um, there's a requirement for people to constantly consume more stuff. So the, the idea that an economy must grow otherwise it's um, failing, is, is unsustainable, right? You know, you can't simply just grow forever. Uh, you can't simply uh, buy more things that you don't need forever. Um, because, well, you can, but then there comes a point where it, um, it, you know, the system no longer sustains itself. You know, there's too much plastic because, you know, we have, we've run out of coil or oil um, you know, the, the, the world is heating up too much. Uh, when, whatever the unsustainable or the combination of unsustainable elements is, um, a system that is built purely on 
acquiring more stuff that you don't really need can't last forever. And, you know, <laughs> the world obviously is billions of years old. Humans are many thousands of years old. Capitalism is what? Couple, two, three hundred years old. Yeah. Uh, again, we, don't, we, 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 should, we shouldn't believe that it's the peak of human civilization or that it's inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that, yeah, because, I mean, I asked this question because um, I've met a lot of people, especially in Bali, like spiritual people who have very limiting beliefs around capitalism and money that would hold them back to create a company like you did, because obviously your company is not a non-profit organization. It's a, it's a self-sustaining business who sells things to, to customers. And um, yeah, I think... You know, if, if we say, oh, I don't want to have to sell anything, I don't want to be part of that system, then the ability to have a big impact is quite limited very often. Um, yeah. And it's not, I completely respect that. And I think that's fine for the individual. But as we were discussing a bit earlier on, it's a bit like the person that chooses to become an aesthete, become a, a monk or a nun, and to remove yeah. themselves from society Uh, which obviously has a positive impact in as much as they're not buying stuff. Um, so therefore, they're not contrib contrib uh, contributing to the unsustainability. But equally, um, they're maybe not changing things um, either. Except, you know, let's, you know, we do need people who aren't taking part in the system for us to see as an inspiration to see how it could be. Um, so... Um, an author uh, that I'm very fond of at the moment, Mark Boyle, has two books, uh, The Moneyless Man, where he lived without money for a year. And mm -hmm. um, um, is it, I think it's Returning, Returning to the Earth or something, where he basically goes back to, you know, a, 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 goes to a farm in Ireland and lives without money, but also um, without uh, electricity. And he, he gets rid of all techno technology and he's been living like that for, for several years now. So um, he's not, you know, you could say he's not really contributing much to, um, uh, uh, to the world at large, but actually through his work and as being an inspiration, he's contributing hugely to the idea that people can live without technology. Yeah. So I, th I think, I think whether it's a force for good or a force for bad is really down to your own ego yeah, and your motivation for doing it. Yeah. yeah. So if you, so if you, if you identify as somebody who's kind of, you know, thinks money is bad and has dropped out then then you're just attached to that mm -hmm. you know? yeah and I, i just realized i mean you can also have an impact by uh organizing demonstrations for example and then you know moving people in that way without having a business but uh, a lot of the people that, that i talk to they they do have a service to offer for example you know being it uh some some form of healing or um, therapy or um whatever so sure their way of of making an impact is really only possible um if they if they receive money for it otherwise you know it's it's going to be very small because you can only give so much for free if you if you need money for a living yeah but there's all, there's always stuff you can do you know you can contribute to you can be part of your community you know you can look after um the old people in your mm -hmm. community, like we used to, you know, you can educate children, you can plant trees, you can yeah. um, eat food which is locally and sustainable, you can grow your own food. There's always stuff you can do. Yeah, cool. So 
last last question. Um, I want to be respectful of your time as well. Um, we, we talked about it very briefly at the beginning uh, before we started recording politics and like what what kind of role do politics play in your life? What is your relationship with politics without the need to go into details? But yeah, I mean, I'm increasingly distanced personally from politics. Um, I think one of the issues the world has is that um, anyone that wants to be a leader um, should probably not be allowed. Uh, and I, I think I think you know <laughs> we've seen the best leaders are often the people who haven't chosen that path. Um, you know whether it was Gandhi or you know other people who have been an inspiration to others. Um, uh, uh, by having that that role forced on them almost more than them having having chosen it, and I think I think it's a genuine problem. You know, we, we don't have politicians cross party really that we I, I certainly don't that I feel I can trust or who represent my interests. Um, but who would do that job? You know, who who would go into that? And 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 the system also prohibits people who have a higher purpose from progressing so you mm -hmm. know if, if you if you genuinely do have a, a social um, purpose and you want the good of humanity and you want to see um corporations um be benefiting uh mankind more than they do their shareholders then the system doesn't really allow you to progress so as as you know, the current political parties have little to say to me personally um and but i but you know we, we have a political system and uh, uh one of the tasks i suppose of the tipping point of of human evolution and human thinking is to uh, uh, work out how the political system needs to change so that it can actually represent the interests of the planet and of people mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense yeah But I don't see that as my role. Uh, I don't have the motivation to try and get, you know, to, to change the political system. Um, but I hope to be able to contribute to the outlook of um, a number of people who might. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's not your, your main battle to fight. You're kind of contributing um, through helping people uh not be in fear um all the time but then if you get the chance to inspire someone else to maybe uh go on a mission to change the political systems then you you'll use that chance. yeah i mean my you know my my mission my role is to enable people to not live in fear so they can fulfill their higher purpose um yeah. what what they do with their higher purpose as long as it's genuine and authentic and true is not down to me um, but I, tr I but I trust that if people are really coming from a better place, that they will be um, doing things which are uh, good and which are beneficial to all organisms, all sentient life, not just their own, mm -hmm. not just their own wallet. Yeah, that's that's. I have a very similar understanding that there is not one right thing we all need to do to save humanity. Like it's it's really good that some people uh, take care of, um, you know depression and help people with that some others do something about the climate change or clean up the oceans or uh, 
do reforestation, mm -hmm. um, teach meditation. Like that's, yeah, that's uh, the only way really. Like we need to work on multiple things at the same time and we will automatically because we're all unique and we all have our own gifts and talents, talents and interests. Um, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking this time. Um, is there anything else you want to share and, and uh, let people know? Um, and then after that, we're going to talk about how they could maybe get in contact with you, if that would be um, okay with you. And uh, again, mentioning uh, Sensei. Yeah. So anything you want to share? I suppose the one I, I've, got, I've got one ask of people, uh, which is that we all try to spend more time in and amongst nature. Uh, because what I've learned more and more really is that's the primary driver um, for bringing out uh, um, you know, the genuine goodness within us. If you spend enough time in nature, understanding it, not trying to change it, but just being with it, it's uh, almost inevitable really that your, mm -hmm. your view of life and your view of yourself within that will change. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. Deeply resonates with me. I think just last week I made an Instagram story where I said, it's incredible how amazing it feels to be in the forest. And it took me like 30 years to, to realize that and on a conscious level. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, really nothing. You want, you know, you want to, you want to get a flow state, go into nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, if, if anyone who listens would love to, reach out to you, talk to you, uh, maybe connect on LinkedIn or any social media. Is that something? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always delighted to speak to people um, uh, and anyone that wants to help me you know, with the mission. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, of course. My name is unusual enough to be able to find me easily enough. Um, uh, info at um, getsensate.com will also uh, come to me uh, if you put my okay. name on it. Yeah, so link, yeah, LinkedIn or email. Uh, or just, you know, just if you just go to the website, the, the contact button, uh, our customer service people will direct stuff to me that's got my name on it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And once more, if people are interested in um, getting an easy way to, to manage their fear and, and feel more relaxed, uh, this device you can find on getsensate.com. Um, yeah, beautiful website, beautiful technology. Um, when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, that is, that just makes sense on, <laughs> on every level. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time and, and sharing and giving, giving people a glimpse of, of how you see the world and, and life and all of those different aspects. Yes. My honor. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Stefan and The discount code I mentioned at the very beginning is very straightforward. It's J-A-N. You can either type that in on the checkout on their website or you click on the link in the description or simply type it in, which is getsensate.com slash Jan, J-A-N. All right, that's it for today and until next time. Cheers.